You're listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. We offer ideas to make your tabletop role-playing games even better. The Helpful NPCs podcast is not safe for work. Our immaturity is matched only by our vulgarity. You can check us out at helpfulnpcs.com or contact us at info at helpfulnpcs.com. Welcome to the Helpful NPCs podcast. I'm Ryan. I'm Thomas. And I'm Jake. And today's podcast topic is telling your players no. A little bit of an introduction, some stuff going on with the Helpful NPCs site right now. Tom and I have recently started doing, and they've been very popular, these things called just one-page encounters. So it's like a random encounter that just takes up one page, and Tom and I very will deliberately limit ourselves to one page. Tom's been working on a lot of like random tables, and I think what we realized is for written content for the website, instead of doing any sort of editorializing, we're going to be focusing the website a lot more on gameable content. So stuff that you can just drag and drop into your game and our more editorializing or opinion based content is going to move over to the podcast. So the podcast is going to be moving a little less towards trying to be informative and a little more towards discussion just because nobody cares about our opinion online. And we've never expressed opinions on the podcast before. Your opinion is shit as is ours, and they're not interesting to read because everybody and his asshole has an opinion, and it's not entertaining on the website. I like doing random tables, so. Uh, The internet is largely filled with articles that are just opinions, and so we're kind of trying to move away from that on the website and a little more towards pushing that stuff in the podcast. So I think that'll be a little more entertaining. Plus, I'd rather hear other people's thoughts and opinions when I say something. So... Story time. I don't allow multiclassing in my Dungeons and Dragons games. Why is that, Ryan? Well, thank you for asking, Jake. It just so happens that I don't think the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons is designed to handle multiclassing very well. A good example is the third edition of D&D is clearly designed around multiclassing. Poorly. It is designed around it. Poorly. Less poorly than 5th edition. 5th edition, I have always felt that multiclassing is just kind of a mess mechanically. It feels like something they added as an afterthought. And I find that for newer players, which we tend to play with a lot of newer players, those uh, sorts of mechanics are a little much. But, and this is the other thing, it is... It sort of filters out some of the people that I don't necessarily want to play with. And this is going to lean into the Stormwind fallacy. Stormwind fallacy is a very famous internet argument that you might remember. And what the Stormwind fallacy essentially says, and I don't care for anyone to correct me, it essentially says good optimization does not equal poor role playing and poor optimization does not equal good role playing and what i have found about the stormwind fallacy is it is definitely technically true but it does not negate the trend and the trend that i have kind of found is 
when I say, when I see a player that I think is going to be a little bit of a problem, or I'm discussing, you know, my game with players that have traditionally been a little bit of a problem, and I say, oh, we don't have multi-classing in our game, you know, we don't use that rule, I see this little, like, wince, and I like, no, it's going to be a problem player. So I should say, our game's not super duper role-playing like heavy role playing, we absolutely do engage in character building. Um, I actually give all of my players a bonus feat at first level, which I think is enough optimization for most players. But we aren't really interested in people like testing out their weird Babylonian death god builds with like... Can I interject here? Ryan is taking a very long and boring time to say that the kind of player that's super interested in character building is probably not a great fit for our table because they're going to be too into the mechanics versus the roleplay aspects. And frankly, if you are the kind of person who can't play a character without min-maxing to the extent that you need multi-classing, well, I don't want your coffee lock or your Sorkadin at the table. You know, I was trying to be a little more diplomatic in how I said it, but if you want to be a bitch, yes, I probably don't want them at my table. The way people who, like, love multi-classing come off to me, it's, you know how, like, miniature painting is a hobby in and of itself aside from the game yes yeah the way that people who just absolutely have to multi-class come across to me is like that's the hobby for them is just building character after character after character and yeah never really playing with any of them very long or getting invested in who the character is it's it's purely just like i want to build a character of these two classes at this level and i'm going to spend three hours min maxing that and that's my hobby and, and to be fair, that was totally me back in college. Tom spent an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how to make different builds go together. We are aging ourselves here, but this was a third edition D&D, which I will say absolutely is built around multi-classing. That was a lot of our college years was like trying to work in those builds and that that very kind of Magic the Gathering board gamey type of character build. I don't necessarily want to play that way now. And if someone kind of is like, oh, I don't want to play your game because there's no multiclassing, it kind of tells me that they're not going to be game for limitations that I place, which is the point of the podcast today is placing those limitations. And so it's not even about like, oh, multiclassing ruins the game because you can absolutely make a a well-rounded, interesting character that is multi-class. Half of it is, are you going to be game for limitations that I want to place because it is in the DM's purview to place limitations? And I think most people are better when they are working within limitations. Um, Tom and I have done some cool work on our website with those one-page encounters, and we are very strict with ourselves. Like, if it doesn't fit into that one page with some art, it's not going there. The way we're going to structure the podcast today, we're going to kind of delve into two topics. The first is setting your options or setting your limitations for players, and the second is going to be drawing a hard no at like a player action, and we'll kind of delve into when you should and when you shouldn't. Part one setting options. I want to say, first of all, options are optional, which is kind of a dirty thing to say in the current gaming community. But the idea that if it's in the book, you're supposed to be able to play it is actually 
kind of new. Like like the idea that everything in the book is is what's there for you to play is kind of new. And it really started with 3rd edition when kind of that character building became a big part of the game and you suddenly saw character options exploding and exploding and exploding and it became that kind of magic the gathering like you build your character like you build your deck i think part of that is with the ogl um in third edition and three five character options are far easier to write and create then adventures and settings and so that was a very easy way for people to make content and those character options were oftentimes bad uh oftentimes not balanced no, no. <laughs> and not uh, yeah there is just like easy content to turn out but also remember we've seen this problem with one D recently the drama surrounding it player options are a great way to incentivize players to buy books adventures you get less sales they're less interesting well the only person who's going to buy an adventure is a dm generally Mm -hmm. another note about this is there is nothing special about quote official content i don't want to trash anybody but some of the even like official answers we've seen about how rules work are like garbage answers there is nothing magical about the official content that they create, it's not this delicately balanced ecosystem of options that like perfectly fit together. And if it were, they wouldn't be able to add more content. Um, That's actually something that we talked about with Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds was so good, they almost had trouble adding content to it because it was it was a well-balanced, internally consistent ecosystem. Uh There is nothing about that that is like, oh, if this is an official option, it needs to be there. And the designers all know what they're doing. No, the designers just kind of go with what's popular. I mean, if the designers knew what they were doing, they wouldn't need to issue a rata or redo the ranger four times. I was going to say, have new additions to the game. If 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 the official content's so good, then why did the Beastmaster Ranger exist on upon release? Oh my gosh, what a terrible option! Yes, and why did it take until Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Cauldron of Everything, through like multiple unearthed arcanas to get it functional? <laughs> and it's still not that great. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm going to play a Beastmaster in Tom's next game, and I'm still like having to use every possible option, and still it's. It's like, ooh, it's okay. It's okay. Your summon's not, you know, terrible. Look what they did to my boy. My yes. favorite class. My favorite boy. Um, and, and you even see things just get included based on popularity, which is something that really happened with 4th edition. I'm sorry. There are things there that I don't really think should be core um specifically we're looking at hellboy tieflings and dragonborn yeah yeah which i think actually brings us to our next section about player expectations absolutely when you are this is largely for gms when you are sitting down with your group and you're trying to figure out what you want to play you are not just playing a DD game give your players some idea of what they're going to be playing um, or what kind of game you're doing so for example if you want to do a heist game be clear like hey we need to have rogues and rapscallions 
If you want to do a classic fairy tale game, be clear that they know that that's what's going on. Don't just say a D&D game with the idea that everything is going to be allowed because you may get characters that don't actually fit together in the same game. And then it's a lot of work to try to like come up with some stupid story uh, justification for why they're all, you know, playing together. I will share an example of this. I have run Curse of Strahd and a fifth edition conversion of the Isle of Dread. In Curse of Strahd, I was very everything goes, and I found it deleterious to the tone of the game Mm -hmm. to have a whole bunch of weird fantasy races wandering around a uh, Victorian horror setting. We're looking at you again, Dragonborn. Yep. And in that same vein, when running the Isle of Dread, I flat out said, I want a sword and sorcery game. Everyone will be a human in this game. And it is worked out fine. Absolutely. And we have a lot of newer players in that game. So being human only kind of worked out better for them anyway, because they don't have to think about like what an elf is. And this is not to knock those weirder races. They're games where they absolutely work. Um, I'm running Spelljammer right now. And Tom's a Thrykreen and Jacob's a Plasmoid. And they're like the weirdest fucking races because it's it's Spelljammer. It doesn't matter. It's like a kitchen sink setting. It is a kitchen sink setting. In fact, it's it's multiple. It's all the kitchen sink settings uh, D&D has done are kind of stuck in one place. And you guys have made friends with goblins and Athasians and all that crazy shit. So it's not not entirely to knock those races it's more a matter of like hey do these fit the kind of game that we're trying to do and i should say if you don't know like hey i want to do a heist game hey i want to do a fairy tale game hey i want to do a knights game um ask your players what they want to play and you can always plan around that one other thing when talking before the game starts about what kind of game you want to play is what kind of tone it's going to have in addition to like the theme of the game like ryan was saying like a heist game or fairy tale game or sword and sorcery game a more classic just generic D fantasy you can do all of those things with vastly different tones as well you can do goofy where the characters have funny names and do ridiculous things you can do super grim dark yeah. um where everybody's serious all the time and there's no fun anywhere gritty yeah so um, gritty or you can do something, you know, between those two spectrums. So I think the tone of the game is super important to mm-hmm. set beforehand. So that way uh, I had a game once where all the characters were normal. It was very super generic D&D fantasy. Um, and then one player wanted to name his character Hugo Stiglitz, uh, which was definitely went against the vibe of the game. No. And, and I wasn't experienced enough at the time to tell him no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing with younger GMs is that they think uh, everything means everything, which we'll kind of get to later. But yeah, no, I mean, you can absolutely be like, yeah, that doesn't fit. And it's important to say that when you put limits on players, this is how the game used to be. And I'm not necessarily like banning stuff. I'm just telling you what options are there. Like, this is what's in my game. This is what's in my world. So to kind of move on to that reasons you don't ban stuff. Number one, you don't just ban stuff because you don't like it. Uh, So easy target for us, Tieflings and Dragonborns. Warlocks. Warlocks, yeah. I don't ban those things unless I'm playing a setting where those things don't make sense. So Tom's next game is largely about the kind of uh, more humanoid races kind of settling 
a wildland and yeah, like a demon person hanging out in town makes way less sense than like an elf. And it's okay to tell your players no. Uh, conversely, if I was running a fairy tale setting, a warlock might fit, but a kung fu monk might not. Another thing to keep in mind is do not have different rules for different players. Like there's that old classic, like, uh, GM's girlfriend stereotype, which I don't think is something anybody here has ever fallen into, but that like, well, my girlfriend is is playing this character because she's got a really well written backstory. Yeah, I'm I'm sure, dude. I'm sure you uh, I'm sure you totally had a neutral standpoint on how good your girlfriend's backstory was, which is why she's allowed to play a sorcerer and everyone else has to play a fighter. You know, her fighter sidekick. Go fuck yourself. I'm sure that that GM has seen her backstory many times. Oh, ho, ho, ho. indeed. Um, and then, of course, we've talked about this a little bit. How you do set boundaries. If I'm doing a setting of scoundrels, I don't really want like a cleric of the god of law, like walking around, like, you know, telling us not Nagging to steal all the time. And even in our Spelljammer game, the paladin wanted to play a devotion paladin. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I have to veto that. Um, that doesn't really make sense for a, a chaotic good group. And in fact, I will even go so far as to limit, I'll limit alignments um, I typically will give a party alignment, which means this is the alignment of the adventure. You're going to have to be like within a step of this. So like, this is a chaotic good party. So you can be chaotic neutral. You can be neutral. Good. You can be chaotic good, but no, you can't be chaotic evil in my chaotic good party. Unless there's a very specific, which we've talked about before, like very specific plan for how that's going to work in there. I'm like, that's okay to do, but be really careful with that. Uh-huh. And then how you handle players. So first of all, it should be obvious, but be fucking respectful in how you tell a player they can't play their concept or what they want to play. Don't tell them if their thing is fucking stupid, even if it's even fucking if stupid. It is. Yes. A lot of ideas are fucking stupid. Don't tell them that. Second of all, explain why. I touched on this. Not every alignment fits every campaign. Not every race fits every setting. Not every class fits every party. Like if the party has two clerics and someone comes in and wants to play cleric three, it's okay to be like, well, we already have that. And suggest alternatives. Like tell them like, no, I think you should do this instead. And they don't have to take your alternative, but you know, just go in with respect and say, hey, I don't think this will work out. Have you considered this? That's all you have to do. I think the alternatives too, if you take the time to under to really understand why they want to play that particular character like do they want to play a class because they've never played that class before Mm -hmm. or do they want to just play a character that looks cool or did they recently watch a piece of media Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to ape their favorite character from that so you can you can get an idea of why they're trying to do what they're trying to do and that will help you inform alternatives but also give you a better idea of why it may or may not work in the game you're running sure so if you're trying to play a setting where everyone is like holy crusaders and someone wants to play a rogue and your first instinct is no well maybe it turns out they want to play like a holy assassin who assassinates for the church which would totally fit that kind of game because they've been playing assassin's creed they've been playing assassin's creed that is assassin's creed right i've never actually played it Neither have I, but I assume so. I think that's it. He wears a lot of That is correct. I have played a little bit of it. Okay. 
Thank you for chiming in eventually. With how many Assassin's Creed games there are, I'm actually kind of shocked that neither of us has played even one of them. I'm not the biggest video gamer, and I'm really not a solo video gamer. Unfortunately, Tom and I live together, so uh, I kind of always have someone there when I'm playing video games. So, like, we want to play together when we play. Side note, one of the things that always really turned me off about Assassin's Creed was the whole, like, oh, you're in this time travel machine just back in the body of your ancestor or whatever. And I was oh, like, God, is that what that is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so there's, like, cutscenes and you, like, jump out and stuff happening in modern day. And I was like, oh, that just ruins it. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. No. It's not for me. So if you are told no. Step one cry step one cry step two fillet the gm no uh step one you have to understand most people like i said earlier work better within boundaries tom and i do the person that is telling you no if they're telling you no respectfully and probably explaining why they have probably given it some thought if you're playing with a you know wannabe god gm that just tells you no i i hate that don't put it in my game yeah i understand being frustrated but if the gm tells you like hey this isn't going to work with the type of game i'm trying to run like understand they put work into that too and the gm deserves to get to enjoy their own fucking game they're not just there for you if necessary ask for clarification sort of hey why what's not good about this is there something i can change to make it work you know be flexible for adapting your concept and then finally if you're kind of upset it is okay to decide this is not the right group for you there are lots of DD groups out there if the gm is trying to run game of thrones and you're trying to play naruto it is a totally okay to decide it is not the right group for you and actually that kind of leans back to our introduction where not allowing multi-classing we've had players opt out that want to do that kind of character building challenge and it's like yeah sounds like it's not not the place for you that's okay part two limiting player character actions one thing i want to kind of note here is i talked about this earlier ultimate freedom doesn't actually mean freedom (laughs) it's very hot uh this is a thing that newer gms run into where they believe that just because the system will support you doing almost anything, they actually have to allow players to do almost anything. And it's like, no, I'm trying to tell a story and I'm trying to entertain six people at the same time. Don't tread on me. Proud to be an American. Oh, wow. He's still doing this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing this is, it. This is the rest of the podcast, yeah, folks. Yeah, this is going to be, be Okay, saying... I think Jake had something he wanted to say. Uh, for us driven out by that glorious anthem. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. That's what I was going to say was, yeah, I used to I used to kind of uh, pitch the concept of a role playing game to people by saying like, yeah, it's like a video game, except you can do anything. I don't do that anymore. Um, No, because sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're like, no, you're not doing that. Yeah. If you tell people they can do anything, they're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to goof off and do whatever I want and not consider other players or the GM or anything. Not only that, but my experience with video games is I don't really like sandbox games because I actually think they're kind of directionless and boring. You just kind of wander around and there's shit over here and there's shit over here. And Tom thinks he likes them, but he likes the idea of them. Yeah, Tom, tell me what you think. Yes, I'm not responding to the bait. (laughs) It is not improv theater. So that is another thing that you commonly pitch to players. And there are elements of improv theater in playing Dungeons and Dragons. Absolutely. 
but you do not have to say yes and just because you fucking say it in improv theater. Sometimes ideas are stupid or disruptive. That's it is what it is. Sometimes that idea is stupid, disruptive or out of character. And it's totally okay to be like, oh, oh, I'm telling you no instead of yes. And this is a big one. Players do not have the right to ruin the game for anyone else, including you. If the player is trying to be disruptive or they're doing something so retarded that it is disruptive, it's okay to be like, eh, nope, doesn't happen. And that's not something you should do very often. I should say that telling a player like, hey, no, you can't do that. That's a scalpel, not a sword. You don't do that just because you don't like it. You don't tell them no because you don't like what they're doing. And you don't tell them no just because you don't anticipate it. I have. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I know a GM who has told me no because it's in the book that you can't do that. (sighs) And it's in the poorly written linear adventure. Yes, it is. So I, I actually was told that once. And I was was like, it was that actually in there that you literally couldn't do that or it just wasn't one of the options that they talked about? No, it literally called out that you could not because there's something very tactically smart that I wanted my character to do. And the GM couldn't even bother coming up with like bullshit like, oh, it's enchanted. So you can't do that. I was just like, no, it's in the book that you can't. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Should have obviously been house ruled. If you do not anticipate something that players want to do, and this is something that took me a long, long time to come to, it is totally okay to be like, give me a minute to think about what I want to happen. When I was younger, I had this idea. It's sort of like writing prose. I had this idea that you needed to be this like exquisite storyteller. And of course, I automatically know what's going to happen. Like I'm generating a world in my brain. And as I've gotten older, it's totally okay to be like, okay, give me just a second to think about what I want to happen. And usually when I take that second, my idea is better after I've taken that second. So it's totally okay to take your second, but you can't just tell them they can't do something because they don't anticipate it. And if you're totally stumped, it is okay to turn it around on them. What do you think will happen if you do that? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Or what are you trying to accomplish specifically? Mm -hmm. And another note here is if your players are doing something disruptive, talk to them like a fucking adult. There is a piece of advice or a type of advice that shows up all over fucking Reddit that is fucking garbage advice. Hey, my player is doing something disruptive. And instead of just talking to them, it's, well, what they need are consequences of those actions. So they stole that item they shouldn't have stolen. So now bounty hunters are after them. And it's okay to GM that way. But your game world is not passive aggressive. You don't have to use mechanics and tools the game gives you to address an issue with the player, yeah, not absolutely. the character. Absolutely. <laughs> Just like take the person aside and be like, hey, you're being really disruptive, man. Oh, man, I hate this guy, but... I, I just can't roll to, to beat his uh, perception score, so I guess I'll have to deal with it. Oh, man, the game has to handle it, not me. The your actions have consequences is the GM version of it's what my character would do. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It really is. It's so shitty. It's so shitty. And it's so could be circumvented by talking to the fucking person, especially because they might think it's fine. They might think oh, cool, the game world is adapting to what I did and I'm generating a story. They might not realize you're pissed off. Don't use your game world passive-aggressively. Like, sit, sit down and have a fucking conversation with them. But do it 
alone with just them. Don't call them out in front of um, other players, especially if you don't know them that well. Uh, do it privately. It depends on what it is for me. So if it's like, okay, we had something last night actually where the paladin wanted to do something very unpaladin-y. And I, I don't I don't mind telling that dude like, no, I'm sorry. You, that's in your vows. You're not going to do that. You're not going to agree to take the Nothic off the planet and then space him. No, nope, I'm sorry. So times that it is okay to say no, or you should say no. First of all, you are unwilling to GM that content. I don't know what stuff you guys have. I have here, I will not GM sexual violence. It doesn't exist in any... I don't know if you guys have ever noticed. It's never in any games I ever run. Although I don't see what the problem is with laying on hands, being rubbing your nipples. I, I really don't. Oh, that it. was weird and gross. <laughs> God, I hope he wasn't serious about that. Um, it's kind of funny. I will say the very best game session I've ever run did have undertones of sexual violence to it as long story is kind of silent hill like almost i would not do it today because i mostly play with people that i don't know super well these days and i'm like i don't know people's histories listen you have no idea almost everybody has had their life touched by sexual violence in some way whether you know it or not you probably know someone it is just don't i it doesn't belong in my games i'm not comfortable gming it and I think it's really hard to do maturely. You're going to end up with like a Game of Thrones. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, most sexual content. That sort of thing is like when you write about it or make a movie about it or whatever, like you're trying to say something. You're not trying to say anything profound with your fucking D&D &D no, game. You're there to have no. fun yes. with friends slash acquaintances slash strangers. So there's <laughs> zero point to including that. Wait, wait, no. wait. Is Last House on the left making a statement? Actually, Last House on the Left is making a statement. I don't actually, I've never actually seen it. <laughs> well, I'm sure they are at least in the creator's mind trying to make a statement. Absolutely. Last House on the Left is making You should know the genre you're talking about before you find Straw Dogs. I didn't see Straw Dogs. So I don't know. I uh, spit on your grave. It, I think the statement there that is, is not making just a statement. murder. That's people just a weird movie. Abuse yeah, you. That's just weird. Um, animal cruelty does not show up in my games. In fact, in my one pages, uh, the animals always happen to either be about to panic or they ran away. Like I'm never like, oh, the mercenaries attacked the merchant and slew all his horses. Like mm, not in my games. This is where we need to bring up the obligatory the X card and lines and veils which <clears throat> I think are... I dislike those mechanics. I also dislike those mechanics. My games generally just don't include that content. I'm going to defend the X, but go ahead with your point. They are valid for games with more mature themes, and I can understand their use at convention games, and I'm being diplomatic by say as I'm saying this, but Hold on. I will not use them at my table. Let's explain what it is. What the X card is, is a little note card everyone has in front of them at their table that is primarily used at game conventions that has an X Got on it. Got a big old X on it. Big old X on it. And if you are not comfortable with the content for whatever reason, you put your hand on it, the GM acknowledges it, we move on. That's, that's it. The GM just moves on. That's the whole thing. My games are so PG-13 most of the time that we've never had to have uh, anything like that at our games. Even even at con games where it's been like heavily explained and and everybody establishes their lines or veils and all all of this stuff, which we'll talk about, I've never seen anyone actually use it. No, no. I most of the time people aren't there to play out weird sex stuff. Though mm -hmm. 
we have been at some games at conventions where people have, and that's as much detail as we're going to go into in that story. <laughs> I wish I would have had next card in that game. <laughs> and so, I wish I would have had an end game early card that I could have slapped I repeatedly did, until my hand I fell off. I did have an end game early card date. <laughs> you it was did. my narrative card. Anyway. Should have played it earlier. <laughs> so we should also mention lines and veils. Lines are things that are generally set up during session zero, which are topics where you say nope we're not going to touch this topic at all veils are things where you can allude to it but it's basically a fade to black scenario mm -hmm. and i should say i absolutely do include in descriptions of my games when i'm looking for new players what limitations i have so for spelljammer for example i was very clear slavery and cannibalism are a part of that setting I was also very clear that I will not describe sexual violence at the table. Um, and I was, I said sexuality is generally PG 13. So it is okay to establish that stuff because I don't want to be in some weird game where some weird fetish shit happens. Yes. I just will not use a specific mechanic. I will just establish those boundaries up front. And I expect if a person has an issue with some content to address it with me like an adult. Mm -hmm. And it should be said, if it is something that is making you or another player uncomfortable, hard no, end of discussion, just say, nope, that doesn't happen. We're not going there. You can just say we're not going there and move on. Mm, and, and of course, the caveat is because I don't use those. If you have an issue, you can seriously just say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. And now if they are doing something that is disruptive or out of character, you don't have to take as hard line of a stance on it. I'm going to recommend just telling them, hey, I don't think that fits your character. And what I would say to that is give them a chance to explain because they may have a rationale that you think about and you're like, oh, OK. But I mean, you still need to be willing to say, no, I don't agree. We're going to say no. I've come across it more in this in the sense of um, it's not necessarily that what they're doing doesn't fit their character. It's that what they're doing doesn't make sense from a common sense perspective of what their character knows. So they're, they're, oh, yeah. me metagaming. they're metagaming a yeah. little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, would your character really do that based on the, the facts that they know, which are X, Y, and Z? Take a look at what you're trying to do. Would they really do that? Mm -hmm. And if they continue to persist, I, I will either be like, I, most likely I'll be like, I don't really think that they would. Like, that doesn't make sense from from just a common sense perspective. Yes, and it, it is hard not to metagame. We all kind of find ourselves doing that. We even had a moment in Tom's current game where my character prepared control water. Um, and I was like, uh, for a moment, I'm like, am I metagaming? Because my character, you know, because I know this dungeon's going to have some water in it. And then I was like, no, because we know the enemies are aquatic. It, it does make sense to like prepare aquatic spells for an aquatic adventure you're on an island in an ocean yes it is okay to prepare <laughs> control water yes, without but, it being metagaming but you have to kind of be conscious of that it is annoying to, if you if you catch yourself metagaming also there are certain things that are like no you wouldn't do that or you're ruining the game like oh uh i shoot the king i shoot the king that's a very common one <laughs> i shoot the oh, king. i kill the guard i attack the guard no, you don't. And I would rather just tell them no than have to DM like, 
oh, you shot the king, and now as a consequence for that, you're going to jail. Like, I don't, don't want to do your prison game. Just tell them no. Well, I'm faster than all the guards, so technically I can outrun them all. Yes. And, and then I can teleport away. Nope, the guards capture you. In fact, the guards just kill you. Uh, no, actually. <laughs> they just kill you on the spot for killing the king. Roll a new character. The guards Fuck are you. all rogues, and they're all dashing, so <laughs> you can't outrun the rogues. No, I don't, I don't want to do any of that shit. I want to just tell them, like, Hey, this is a game about saving the princess. You don't just throw your sword at the king because Neener, I, I can do anything. It's Dungeons and Dragons. I can do anything. Like, no, please don't do that. So it's okay to just say, hey, that's disruptive. Um, And you're allowed to put boundaries on other player things, um, stealing from the party. We had a game once where our, a rogue we were playing with basically bankrupted the entire party and it wasn't fun and it created a lot of tension. We were in our twenties. Actually, Tom wasn't even, Tom was 19 and I was 21. So we were very, we were babies and we didn't know how to deal with it maturely. And what we should have done was just sat her down. And then when I had to GM for her later playing the same character, basically, I told her like, Hey, you can steal a small amount of treasure. Cause I know you like that idea that you're swiping treasure that the party doesn't see. There's always going to be like, you can swipe some of the treasure, but you're never going to take the big stuff, including magic items. Never let her like swipe magic items from the party. And she was totally happy with that because she liked the trope of stealing from the party. I think we might have touched on this in a previous podcast. I don't know. Now, if the players are hogging attention from the other players, and that is everyone's bored because someone decided to run off and do a private stealth mission, or they're doing a shopping scenario while everyone else is trying to have an adventure, introduce your players to the concept of the camera. So what does that mean? That means look at the player nicely, but firmly just say, oh, okay, the camera's not on you right now, though, and then move on to the other players. And you have to kind of alternate attention between everybody. But it's very easy to just tell your players like, hey, we're not looking at you right now. So no, you don't do that. If you are told no, how to handle that graciously, because it can be a frustration, especially flip the table, flip the table, punch the GM, hurl your dice, start a relationship with the GM and three years into marriage, give them a black eye to explain to the neighbors. I thought you ran into a door seven times. So first thing is, if you're told no, shut the fuck up. Honestly, drop it. Shut the fuck up. If you know the GM very, very well, I did do this recently. You can sort of be like, whoa, 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 whoa I don't think that's fair. But you better be you better have a great relationship with the GM to do that. Yeah. Or or if you think that there's been a miscommunication, right? Like if you've said something and based on the way they're reacting, you think that they're not understanding like what you're actually doing. You can clarify. Right. Absolutely. But be very clear and say, no, I think you mean I think you think I'm doing this. This is what I actually mean. Absolutely. But if the GM is like, no, the camera's not on you. Shut up. Because it. If the GM is having to say the camera is not on you, it means you've gotten a lot of screen time and you're hogging all the attention from the other players. And that's not fun, especially if you're not in the scene. Like if you're not even in the same room or scene as the other character. Yeah, you need to shut the fuck up. Yep, shut the fuck up. Um, Or if the GM is like, like it's something again, we're back to the sexual assault. If it's something where the GM's like, nope, uh, that doesn't happen. You should shut the fuck up because it didn't happen and you made someone uncomfortable or something got weird. Just shut up. You can always bring it up to the GM later 
I am going to say we had a specific thing recently where I did not agree with Tom's ruling and I did talk to him about it later because I thought it was bullshit. It was minor illusion. Tom made me roll like... Oh my God, we're hearing about it again. No, 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 no. I want to hear this rehashed right now. No, no, no. This is is good for the podcast to discuss. Tom in the moment said, I'm going to have you use... uh, Go ahead and roll Charisma Bluff to use minor illusion to trick someone. And I said, that's not, that's not fair. It's based on how good I am at the magic, not based on how persuasive my character is. And anyway, I argued at the table, which I should not do. And I know better. And we did discuss it later. And you ultimately agreed that that probably was not the best way to run it. But my character wasn't good at those things. My spell didn't do anything. That is correct. I ultimately agreed. And it was an error in the moment. I did have a reason for why I ruled it that way. And I understand your reasoning. I'm going to guess what the solution was. The minor illusion should have given you advantage on the check. No, no, it was my my reasoning was the what he was proposing was so outlandish that the minor illusion allowed him to make a bluff check or a deception check. I don't agree with you. Deception check in the first place. Otherwise, Mm. it wouldn't have been possible. However... As I said, I ultimately agreed with him and I would run it differently in the future. But you know what? It was off the cuff. So eat shit. <laughs> I'm not trying to call you out. I'm trying to say probably. So you have some latitude when you're disagreeing with your spouse at the gaming table, not in the GM's girlfriend. You deserve special treatment kind of way. But when you've known someone for like 15 years, it's OK to like it might be OK to do that. But if you don't know that person real well, you should probably shut the fuck up. Like I would not go to a convention game and be like, I don't ruling you know they're trying to fuck you but just not in that way <laughs> gross so that's really it that's all we had to say about those topics bring it up to the gm later outro something that we always kind of want you to think about is it is a team game in and out of the game world so it's not just that your characters are teamed up because they're one adventuring squad you're you're teamed up with the other players to try to give everyone a good experience whether you're the gm or the player and what that means is fucking work together guys it's team sport thank you for listening to the helpful npcs podcast for more content check us out at helpfulnpcs.com If you have any feedback or requests for topics, you can reach us at info at helpfulnpcs.com.